You are listening to Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 42, and I am recording on January 22nd, 2021. Hello, how's everyone doing? I am doing well. It's Friday, so that's always a good thing. I am on week two of teaching my writing the young adult novel course at UCLA Extension, and I think it's going pretty well so far. And we have ourselves a new president, so I'm pretty excited about that too. And of course, by now, everyone knows the name Amanda Gorman, the youngest inaugural poet in U.S. history. And she has not one, not two, but three books coming out this year, which is not surprising at all. And they are all available for pre-order. I'll leave a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. She has a picture book coming out, a book of poetry coming out, and a book that is comprised of The Hill We Climb, which was the rousing poem she read at the inauguration. And I think a new president and a new administration is really all the news I have this week that's worth sharing going on in my life. So I literally have nothing else going on. We're still uh, on pretty strict lockdown in Los Angeles. So I will move on to some bookish news. According to ABC News, one of the covers of the Tintin comic books has sold for a record-breaking $3.1 million. Hergé's work was sold in Paris, and the piece of art that was sold was from 1936, and it was a drawing in Chinese ink, gouache, and watercolor, and it was supposed to be the cover for The Blue Lotus, which was the fifth volume of The Adventures of Tintin. It's pretty. I saw it, but $3.1 million pretty? I don't know about that. We like to say Tintin here because it's a much more fun way to say it, the way the French do. I spent my junior year of college studying in the south of France, and I lived with a French family who had three kids, and the oldest of them looked exactly like Tante did. According to The Root, Dr. Maya Angelou is slated to join the Inspiring Women series, which is a Barbie doll line that honors famous women in history and includes Amelia Earhart, Frida Kahlo, Rosa Parks, Sally Ride, and Ella Fitzgerald. I did not even know this was a thing, but I love it. All of the Barbies I played with growing up were very, very white and very, very blonde. The trailer for Sarah Pinborough's Behind Her Eyes is out, and I will link it in the show notes. I can't remember if I talked about this book on the podcast or not before, but if I haven't, I definitely will, because this book has the absolute craziest ending I can ever remember reading. Last week, The Strand released a recently discovered, previously unpublished short story of Shirley Jackson's called Adventure on a Bad Night. Shirley Jackson is, of course, the author of one of my favorite books, We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which I still haven't seen on Netflix, and the film Shirley released only this past year, which I did see, and I liked it. If you are interested in purchasing the magazine to read the new story, I will leave a link in the show notes. If you want to reach out and say hi, you can always reach me at Books are my people at gmail.com or on Instagram at Jennifer Calogaris. But that is it for bookish news today. I wanted to keep it short because we have a guest. 
I am thrilled to welcome Jackie Skoll to the podcast today. I first met Jackie maybe five-ish years ago when our books, both published by Ashland Creek Press, were nominated for, I think it was the Dog Writers Association of America. Jackie, you can correct me here if I'm wrong. <laughs> That's right. And we, oh, good. And we went to the ceremony in New York City and Dogland won an award that year. So it was very exciting. Jackie School juggles raising two teenage girls, two rescue dogs, and a husband with work as a writer, adjunct professor, and entrepreneur. A journalist by training, Jackie spent a decade at CNN working as a news writer and then as a producer in the network's documentary unit. She is the author of Dogland, A Journey to the Heart of America's Dog Problem. She donates all proceeds from sales of the book to nonprofit animal welfare organizations, which is just amazing. So hello, Jackie. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Let us know where you are calling in from today. I am in central New Jersey, right outside of Princeton. Excellent. I have never been, but I imagine it is now too cold to be outside for the quarantine. It is. It is too cold. We are very much waiting for it to warm up a little bit, though I have to say you would be surprised how long you can be outside in the cold if you're able to see friends who you haven't seen in a long time, um, and that's the only way you can do it. I'll start by asking you to tell us what your book Dogland is about. Dogland is a story about journeys. Um, it's my journey to find the person who surrendered my dog Galen to a North Carolina shelter when she was just weeks old. It's Galen's journey from North Carolina to a New Jersey garden supply store, which is where I met her. I um, mean, it's also my journey to understand why uh, in the United States today, our shelters are still euthanizing so many healthy and adoptable dogs. I read it when it first came out and found it to be just so moving and so compelling. And I think any of us with rescue dogs always wonder, you know, what is the story? What is the dog's story before they ended up in our in our homes? I'm curious about how you found um, all of the people you interviewed for the book. You talked to so many people in the community. Old-fashioned reporting. Um, as you mentioned off the top, I am sort of a journalist by trade. And when journalists have questions, they seek answers. And I had these questions about Galen. I had had questions about a previous rescue dog, uh, my dog Griffin. And I had a time in my life when I was able to take the time to start seeking out those answers. And when you report, you find, you know, you make a lot of calls and you hit on someone who either has answers or insights and that person leads you to somebody else who leads you to somebody else and you read a lot. Um, and once I had, you know, had, once I'd spoken on the phone to enough people, I, you know, went down south and met them in person and did my reporting. I don't want to share too many spoilers from the book, but can you share with the audience one thing that surprised you that you learned about Galen? So what I learned about Galen is that she is indeed the poster puppy for America's dog problem. Um, she was born to a mother who was not spayed, and this was not a planned breeding. 
and the owner ended up with a litter that she could not care for. And in many ways, that is what is happening in too many parts of the country, whether it be urban areas or rural areas where folks have dogs, they love their dogs desperately, but they don't have the money to do what we really need to do in order to um, decrease the population. So I've always had rescue dogs. My current dog, who's sitting next to me and might make some noise later, is from the Milo Foundation in Northern California. And our rescue dog before that was from the South Central Shelter in Los Angeles. But here in LA, designer dogs seem to run rampant. And I was wondering, what would you say to someone considering purchasing a dog from a breeder? I just really wish more people would give rescue and shelter dogs a chance. Um, Many people have these preconceived notions about rescue dogs, that they are in some way damaged. But as you clearly know, um, and I am someone who has lived with three rescue dogs and I fostered one, um, they're pretty darn wonderful. And especially if you get, um, if you uh, adopt a very, very young rescue dog or shelter dog, I mean, they then grow up in your household. Um, So I I really wish people could kind of take off these blinders that they have um, and recognize that most dogs in shelters and and that rescues have um, really are the the number that gets tossed around a lot is that, you know, upwards of 90% are healthy and adoptable. And if more people would adopt from these shelters, then that would go a long way in helping us to reduce the um, euthanization rates. Your book offers an incredible look into animal rights advocates from shelter workers to rescue organizations. If someone wanted to become a dog activist, what are a few concrete steps they could take? Well, I think most rescues and shelters are always looking for volunteers, whether um, it's to walk dogs or to work at adoption events. So if you're someone who has time, volunteering is um, can be so helpful. If you're not someone who has time but you have money, um, low-cost spay-neuter clinics are a great place to put your dollars, um, as are the rescues and shelters in your own neighborhood. Or you can go big, like to a Best Friends, which has a sanctuary in Utah and outposts around the country. Um, The other thing to do, I think, is to learn um, the lay of the land, so to speak. So when people use terms like no kill, what does that mean? Um, Learn how to tell the difference between good rescues and bad rescues. So, you know, there are so many ways to get involved um, depending on what you have an excess of, be it time, be it money. Great. Thank you. And my very last question is, what are you working on now? Oh, I wish I could say I was reporting or writing right now, but I am waiting for inspiration. I am in search of that question or questions that lead me to the reporting, that leads me to the writing um, of that next book. 
Excellent. Well, maybe something will come out of the pandemic. I know that there was such a huge uptick in particularly puppy adoption. Um, So I'm curious, actually, what the ramifications of that will be. You know, will there be a lot more relinquished dogs because people thought they wanted a dog? And then once life gets back to normal, maybe they'll be relinquishing them? Yeah, I think that's going to be potentially a problem. Um, I think part of it is going to depend just how long people are home. I mean, the longer they're home, hopefully the longer they um, and their dogs bond with each other and the older the dog gets, um, anyone who has ever had a puppy knows that it takes time for that puppy to stop chewing on your stuff and to, you know, settle in. So hopefully, um, you know, people will have time to have bonded and for those who adopted puppies to settle down. But I do worry. And now on to the books. So since we have a dog expert with us, we are going to be focusing on dog theme books. So Jackie, why don't you start us off? Okay, the first dog themed book is The Dogs Who Found Me by Ken Foster. Um, It falls into the nonfiction memoir genre, which is somewhat um, similar to Dogland, which was nonfiction, memoir, and I'd add for Dogland, um, investigative uh, journalism. Um, What Ken Foster does so eloquently in this book is he weaves together the stories of dogs he's lived with, dogs he's fostered, and dogs he's found as he goes about his daily life. Um, And what a life. This is a man who was living in downtown New York City on 9-11 and in New Orleans during Katrina. I mean, how's that for luck, right? Um, In fact, um, of the air on 9-11, he writes, later that night, I noticed rims of white dust had formed around Brando's nostrils, and I realized that we had all been breathing that in all day in the days that followed. As writers, we often talk about the importance of that first sentence, and in the case of the dogs who found me, the first sentence is just four words but it grabbed me. Um, And I think it will grab anyone who has ever lived with a dog. Dogs are like tattoos. So simple, right? Um, Foster goes on to say they, meaning the tattoos, mark their owners permanently with a visual memorial of the past, like dogs do. I've never had a tattoo, but I've had many dogs, and all of them have left their own indelible marks on me. Um, I love that. And I live that because every dog I've had has left an indelible mark on me. Um, And I think that anyone who has ever loved a dog knows what he needs. Um, So that book is The Dogs Who Found Me by Ken Foster. Oh, dogs are like tattoos. That's my new favorite quote. That's incredible. It's perfect. My first pick is also in the nonfiction memoir category, and it is called The Particulars of Peter, by Kelly Conaboy, and it was published uh, just this past December. So this is a memoir about Kelly who moves to Brooklyn and discovers that there is a rescue called Badass Brooklyn, and it's just a few blocks away. So she gets excited and decides to devote her time to becoming a volunteer dog walker. And one rule um, that I found peculiar at first is that the volunteers have to agree to the fact that they are not going to be adopting any of the dogs. Um, At first, I was like, well, if you find a loving potential dog owner, wouldn't you want your dog to go to that home? But I guess Badass Brooklyn uh, 
they were losing too many dog walkers to the dogs they were adopting. So of course, Kelly falls in love with one of the dogs named Peter, which also happens to be my 15-year-old son's name. But Peter the dog is some sort of mix of lab and rat terrier and chihuahua and like five other breeds. She has him, his DNA tested. Uh, And like many dogs, she doesn't know the history of his first three years of life. And she often wonders what he went through. So she eventually somehow circumnavigates this rule there and ends up adopting him. Peter then gets taken on many adventures that span from Woofstock, the largest dog festival in North America, to the Doggy Academy where he can train. Conaboy not only records how she fell in love with her dog, but she also gives some great tips and practical ideas for things you can do to bond with your dog. And again, that is The Particulars of Peter by Kelly Conaboy. Jackie, what do you have for us? Oh, I actually was going to say, I love that. I had never even heard of that book. Um, there are so many dog books out there, but that's, I, I thought I had my ear to the ground. It's not as much as I. <laughs> it just came out maybe two weeks um, ago. So that's probably why. <laughs> oh, okay. Very new. Um, all right. So the next one is How Dogs Love Us by Gregory Burns. Um, this one is also nonfiction, but it falls into the animal science genre. Or I love um, how the New York Times put it. Um, it calls it and books like it, narrative animal science writing, a genre combining rich storytelling with science to explain animals, the roles they play in our lives, and we in theirs. And I think that really sums it up because um, it is animal science, but it's also very rich in the storytelling. So uh, Gregory Burns is a dog lover. But more importantly, in terms of this book, he is a neuroscientist at Emory University, and he has studied the human brain in MRI machines. When his family adopts a hyperactive terrier mix named Callie, he does what I think all dogs, uh, all dog owners do, um, at least I know I do. He wonders what his dog is thinking. Um, so this, of course, is the fascinating part where all I can do is wonder what my dogs are thinking. He and his team at Emory train Callie and several other dogs to wear earmuffs and lie inside of an MRI machine perfectly still so they can study their brain functions. These dogs are not restrained. They're not sedated. Um, They can't be because otherwise their brains will be affected and they won't be able to be studied. So they are taught with a lot of treats and a lot of positive reinforcement to stay still. And um, this, of course, leads to uh, some of the groundbreaking studies. So, for example, um, brain scans of Callie and another dog showed that the area of their brains activated in anticipation of a treat is the same as that area of the brain in human subjects anticipating a reward of some kind. And that same area lights up in dogs when they interact with their humans. So, right, so that part of their brain, when they see us, um, shows a level of excitement and anticipation. Um, the book recounts all of the technical hurdles, the legal hurdles, the behavioral hurdles that um, Burns and his team had to navigate. Um, but it is also, to me, um, a wonderful story about friendship, because in order for any of this to happen, The dogs had to trust their humans 
and the humans had to know and trust their dogs. Um, without that trust and that bond, these experiments never would have been able to happen. Um, so that one is How Dogs Love Us by Gregory Burns. My last pick for today is E.B. White's On Dogs, which first came out back in 2013. So E.B. White, of course, is best known for his classic Charlotte's Web and other children's books such as The Trumpet of the Swan and Stuart Little. And writers listening may know his ubiquitous The Elements of Style, which he co-authored. On Dogs is edited by his granddaughter, Martha, who also manages his literary estate. And here she's put together her favorite poems and essays, letters, private correspondence, and even drawings that represent more than 12 dogs that White owned throughout his lifetime. The writing is beautiful, as is White's reverence for all the dogs in his life. As a fan of his children's books, many of which were about animals, it was interesting to see his take on dogs. Also included are myriad photographs. The book moves chronologically through White's life. So first we see his early days in New York, and then his move to a farm in Maine, uh, past World War II and beyond, all the while following the dogs that have accompanied him along his life's journey. When I finished the book, I definitely came to the conclusion that I think I would have been very happy to live my life as one of E.B. White's dogs. And again, that's On Dogs by E.B. White. I have said many a time that I would love to come back into this world as one of my dogs because they have the life without a doubt. Um, Okay, so uh, my last book is The Friend by Sigrid Nunez. It won the 2018 National Book Award. Um, so this one's fiction. At its heart, it's a meditation on grief, on writing, and of course, the reason I picked it, on that transcendent power of the human-canine bond. So here's the plot. A writing professor has just lost her mentor and best friend to suicide. Uh, if that weren't enough to challenge her mental well-being, she learns that her mentor's dog is also grieving and his third wife refuses to keep the dog. So now you know what's coming. Yes, the professor ends up with the dog. This is a problem because her rent-stabilized apartment doesn't permit dogs and this one can't easily be hidden. He is a 180-pound Great Dane named Apollo. Whether the narrator will be able to keep the dog and her home provides the drama, and it's really the one plot line that runs through the novel. Otherwise, the friend reads less like a narrative, and it is more like a series of musings um, scribbled in a diary, which makes it really interesting um, by this woman who is grappling with loss, she's grappling with loneliness, and she's also grappling with a changing world. So in her you know, diary, she touches on issues like the Me Too movement and trigger warnings and safe spaces. Um, And also, while she journals, she weaves in quotes and anecdotes from the works and lives of famous and not so famous writers and poets. So it's really interesting. It's, It's quirky. It's unconventional. It's also a page turner. Um, and, and just as I said about How Dogs Love Us by Gregory Burns, at its heart, there's this love letter to friendship. Um, 
in this case, the friendship between people, um, but also the friendship between people and their dogs, which is just um, really beautiful. So this one sort of has, has pain and love all wrapped up together. And that's The Friend by Sigrid Nunez. I read that book. It was so moving and so beautiful. And I actually just purchased Nunez's latest novel, What Are You Going Through? But I haven't yet read it, but I'm looking forward to it because I love her work. Well, thank you, Jackie, so much for joining us today. And everyone should go out and get themselves a copy of Dogland, A Journey to the Heart of America's Dog Problem. If people want to find you on social media, where should they go? On social media, I am on Facebook, uh, Jackie Skoll. Or uh, you can go to my website, which is also very easy. It is just JackieSkoll.com, J-A-C-K-I-S-K-O-L-E.com. I will list Jackie's information as well as the links to all of the books we've talked about in the show notes section of the podcast, or you can always visit booksaremypeople.com and select the episode you need. I'll be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week.